Hello, thank you for joining us once again. My name is Matt Phillips and you're listening to Run Chat Live, episode 12. So this episode is all about gait analysis. Um, it's with Mr. Nick Knight of NK Sports Podiatry. I'm a fellow gait analyst um, from the south coast, a bit further away from me. Far enough not to lose clients to him, but close enough to actually be able to talk to him. Um, and this is exactly what we did. Uh, we talked about how gait analysis can help reduce the risk of injury, how it can help you recover from current injury, um, how it can help you get that next PB. But also, um, as always, uh, we are guided by the evidence to remind you how it doesn't help you. Some of the pitfalls of depending on gait analysis, um, some of the non-evidence based conclusions which you might hear when you go and step on a treadmill and have a professional, inverted commas, look at the way you run. Um, so great episode, I believe, for both runners and therapists. Uh, bombshells as always, uh, going where the evidence takes us. I hope you enjoy it. And um, there's a few more guests coming up before we get to our live episode 15, which will be January the 6th. Um, enjoy, leave some comments. Uh, let me know if there's anything in future you'd like to hear. Um, thank you. One of the biggest topics at the moment um, is gait analysis. Um, do you need it? What's it for? Is it overrated? Is it underrated? Is it just for the pros? Can a, somebody doing a couch to 5K benefit from it? So um, I'm delighted this morning to have with me a fellow gay analyst, uh, Mr. Nick Knight from NK Sports Podiatry. He's going to be joining us in a second. Um, and basically, we're going to try and keep it very runner orientated. Um, if therapists are watching this on the recording, then you might pick us up for some slight bad use of word. We're going to try and stay away from sagittal planes and transverse planes and, and subtailor joint this and that. We're going to try and keep it so that the runner out there can actually understand what we're talking about and apply it um, and know how to get the best out of a gate analysis uh, wherever they decide to go to. So do excuse us in advance if the terminology is not that precise. Um, but as always, we'll be trying to back everything we talk about up with evidence um, because we know that one of the big problems in uh, running injury uh, management uh, and performance is just anecdotal. This worked for so-and-so, so it must work for everybody. We know that's not the case. But anyway, so if you do enjoy this recording and you enjoy what myself and Mr. Nick Knight have to say, then do please share it on your social media. Um, we do this. Nick's giving up his time for free. Uh, we're not making anything out of this. Um, we just try and get some good and quality information out there because we're runners ourselves um, and we know we've been given bad advice. And we just wanted to share it to get it out there. So without further ado, I'm going to invite Mr. Knight to join us um, and I will let him introduce himself. Good morning, Mr. Knight. Morning. Morning. Um, Sounds very formal. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, Too too formal for a Sunday morning. Um, Thank you for, yeah, um, asking me to come on and chat about all things sort of gait analysis and trying to keep it as running focused as we possibly can. So I am a clinician, um, but I do see runners on a daily basis. So, but if I end up getting into clinical speak, just give me a slap on the wrist and then I'll, 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 re, I'll rephrase it back into English. Um, so yeah, uh, by background, I am a sports podiatrist based out along the South Coast like yourself, but I'm just sort of further west in Southampton and a little bit north in, in Basingstoke. Um, and gaze analysis is something that over time I've become more and more passionate about and then I've, I've personally my business has invested in 
better and better equipment to help to help get us there. So currently we, we sort of offer sort of your standard 2D gait analysis. Um, but then we're very fortunate to have um, Run 3D, which is a, a 3D gait analysis system using what's called Vicon cameras. So they're the same sort of cameras that are used in movies to like film like Planet of the Apes and, and, and whatnot like that, which is really, really cool tech. Brilliant. No, no, no. We're looking a bit more into I'm, I mean, I'm going to try not to get too geeky myself because I haven't used Run 3D. We use a different reason motion metrics here. So I'm going to try and get some information out of you regarding your um software as well later on um let's start the ball rolling i'm trying i'm always going to try that there's a runner watching this who maybe is interested in gate analysis but they fear that it's not for them um or maybe they've got the wrong idea about what it's for the expectations wrong so mm-hmm. in your experience let's kick the ball off with what do most runners coming to you find what they're looking for out of gate analysis what's the main thing um, a lot of runners find sort of truth as the holy grail. Um, sort of thinking, right, it, right, I can get a gait analysis done and it will solve all my problems. Um, from, from my perspective, um, I don't see pain free runners in, in clinic. I'm only seeing people with, with pain and maybe we can chat about later about doing gait analysis on pain free runners because I sort of, I've got some views on that as well. Um, and I think for me, what a gate analysis does, it just helps me give, get more information about the problem and the runner in front of me so we can help build a better treatment plan for them. And as I say to my runners, it's sort of, we, we, we can help get the pain to settle. But actually the key part is, and the hardest part is, is to try and get the pain to settle, but then help try and do the best we can to minimise the risk of it coming back. Again, because the last thing we want in clinic is a runner that has to keep coming back year on year end. Um, I, I, it, I purely work in private practice and I love to try and actually discharge my patients. So I don't actually have to see them again and just give them the tools just to go and do what they want with. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's something that I think is, is really, really helpful in my clinical practice, but I think it has to be used in the right way. And then it's all about then interpreting that information you get correctly. Um, I think it comes back to the saying that we, we can have all the, all the gear. Um, and then we got to make sure we've got some idea what we're trying to talk about as well at the same time. That would make quite a good kind of slogan, wouldn't it? I'm just trying to think all the gear, but no idea. That would work. Yeah. <laughs> So that's interesting already. So you've brought in a nice distinction between runners who go for gait analysis um, who are in pain. Yeah. And then maybe the runner who goes into gait analysis who are in, we're getting more and more of now, runners who aren't necessarily in pain, but they just want to make sure that either one, they're not disappearing down a road, which could end in pain, or two, they just want to improve their performance. Yeah. Um, so for the moment then, for the first bit, let's stick with the runner who's in pain. Yeah. Okay. Um, what are the most common pains that runners come to see you with and think the gait analysis might help? Um, the biggest is the three biggest I personally see in clinic is heel pain, shin pain, and knee pain are the three biggest areas that we, we see issues with. Um, okay. in- what do what do what do because obviously you give a case history. What do most runners believe is the cause of their pain? Have they got any idea, or they come like, tell me what what am I doing wrong? And most people do think they, they think that they're running wrong or they're wearing the wrong shoes. 
Um, they're, they're the two biggest beliefs that come into clinic of why they, they're in the place that they are they are in. Um, and don't get me wrong, footwear and gait is important, but in my opinion, there are much bigger things we need to chat about first. So I sort of say to my runners, when they come in, it's sort of it almost in like a hierarchy of importance is that actually I want to know how much you're running and I want to look at sort of your chronic workload ratio which basically looks at how much running you're doing and how much you've increased in a certain amount of time because then we can then maybe try and link that to possibly back to picking up an injury then I want then to look at are you actually strong enough to do what you need to do so if you've been running half marathons and getting no issues and you've been doing work to help keep strong for that, but then you up to running marathon distance, have you then upped your strength work? And then after that, then we then come down to the biomechanical, the gait side of things. So that, that, that's the way I tend to approach it in, in clinic. The gait comes sort of third in that hierarchy um, of things. So yes, it is important, but I think we need to try and get runners to believe that there are other things to think about as well. I listened to you and I've, I've just I was thinking the other day, actually, I was having a discussion with a colleague. I've, I've got to start inviting guests who I know do things that I don't like because I'm sitting yeah. listening to you and thinking, wow, everything you're saying is just brilliant. Um, but I know that this isn't the experience that everyone gets when they go for a gate analysis. Um, so, um, yeah, I want you to go. <laughs> I'm going to cut this interview short because you're just making too much sense. Okay. <laughs> I've got a backup here from just down the road uh, offering gate analysis for trainers. No, it's true though, and it's tricky because there is this confirmation bias. Yeah. Because um, in your experience, I mean, let's imagine without naming any names. Yeah. How is potentially a runner's experience of gate analysis going to be negative or non-productive or? What might a runner go to with a label gate analysis and what might they receive, which in your view might not be the right way to look at things? So for me, yeah, I, I won't name names. For me, like being a podiatrist, I, I sort of sort of, the way I look at, I explain to people, I, I look from the foot up. If you see physios and sports therapists, they'll look at the hip down and we sort of meet in the knee sort of area. So it's been ingrained into me throughout my training to look from the foot up. So most people come in, they, they've been told, oh, um, I've had a gait analysis, I overpronate, and now I need these shoes because I overpronate. And, I, yeah, it is, I've got loads of issues um, with the A, I just don't like the term overpronation because it just doesn't exist. Um, and then B, there, there isn't any current good amount of evidence out there that then works with matching what your foot does to to a shoe um and then the other one is um they've read books or they've read online and they sort of think there's a certain way to run which means that they are going to become pain-free and they've then tried to adopt that running technique um and they're they're the two sort of biggest things that I sort of see when they come in when they've had stuff previously done and then it's hard because then we've then got to take the patient through the runner so through that unlearning process um, and then try and then build it back up um, again because there are certain amount of people they can run in a certain way by a certain book and they will not get any problems because that, that they, their body can cope with that but then there are a large amount of people who then get problems as well and it's about there's no right or wrong ways it's a very personalized personalized thing so i'm not a fan of getting all my patients to run 
in one certain way. We know there are certain things we can do to offload knee pain, to help offload shin pain, to help offload heel pain. But we're, we're making those changes just to try and alleviate someone's symptoms. But the big caveat to all that is, is that if we adapt the way someone runs and we take load off the knee, we're going to put it somewhere else. Um, so we've got to make sure that the runner is strong enough to cope with putting that load elsewhere and we don't basically cure one injury but then give them another because um, I, I don't like sort of creating problems. I like helping problems, <laughs> helping people problems. So. Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting that, I mean, it's a, I'm not sure there's many, I'm going to say, I mean, I always see, a, I think for podiatry in particular, and correct me if I'm wrong, but all all therapies, all professions and healthcare professions have had to evolve. Um, the ones which have to evolve most of all have been ones that were kind of created back in the 1830s or something. So obviously chiropractic, osteopathy, they were all based on ideas at the time that were revolutionary and they were much better than the medicine that was being offered before then. Um, but they've had to evolve because we now know that certain ideas like manipulating bones cures everything from period pains to headaches. We know it's less likely than the guy at the time thought. Podiatry traditionally did have very much a foot approach and maybe didn't necessarily consider other factors. Now I guess it's had to evolve because of the whole biopsychosocial approach. And so has your kind of, and also the, kin, I can't say kinematic kinetic, also the fact that what we see in terms of is actually moving yeah. Um, yeah. may not be as important as what's happening with the forces, which of course we can't see. Yes. So I was chatting to Ian Griffiths last time about, and he was kind of saying that a lot of the time, podiatrists have had to move now they've had to evolve and re-educate themselves a little bit in realizing that what we can't see is often just as important as what we can see so how yeah. does that affect yeah. you in terms of what you offer and 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 yeah so well from a from a case analysis um viewpoint um a patient really sums it up um well for me um and that, that they were a medic they were a doctor themselves and we, they, they come in, um, I think it was knee pain, um, but that's irrelevant. Uh, and they sort of said they went through the whole run 3D gait analysis process. We went through then a rehab program, then a bit of running education. And they got back and I haven't seen them um, since. And they sort of and gave me the analogy of gait analysis or has the potential to be almost like an MRI of how you run. And I think what they were meaning by that is that it still gives us a nice dynamic picture of what happens when you when you're running. Um, and then they sort of said, well, then the issue then we I have got as a clinician is that then it gives me all this information. But then I've got to work out what is relevant to that runner at that time. And then we can then go back in medicine. We use the analogy a lot, treat the patient, not the scan. Because a gait analysis may show up something that we think is it's actually just a red herring. It's not actually relevant at all. And we don't really, really need to worry about it. So I think as time has evolved, technology's got better. We're able to see more. But I think we still have to go back to what's presenting in front of us and using the gait analysis as an information gathering tool to help us get to where we need to. And just because we see something on a gate report, it doesn't mean that that is causing all the issues and it may be a red herring. That's really nice. That's I haven't heard that before. Um, yeah. So there's a double 
um, learning curve there for runners and patients. Um, first of all, realizing that what shows up in an MRI isn't, I was going to say isn't black and white, but that's not a very good choice of words because it is black and white, but it isn't necessarily right. If you see what looks like degeneration there, research shows that that degeneration might not be the cause of the pain. And we know that once you hit 30, 40 years old, degeneration starts escalating. It's just like, I can't remember who coined the phrase, but it's like wrinkles on the inside. You don't complain yeah. about your arm being wrinkled. Well, some people complain, but we don't associate wrinkles in the eyes with headaches in the same way as we shouldn't associate degeneration uh, with pain necessarily. So, yeah, it's a it's a good analogy because then you look at a running form and you're going to see things which might be potentially signs of causing injury or causing pain. But you've got to look, analyze, look at the evidence, and just see whether it is. So it is all bit of a jigsaw isn't it with gait analysis it's not black and white to say the least um no. i want to ask you another question now yeah because again still i'd like to say it's gone down but i don't think it has you might have a different experience over in southampton but how many of your patients come or your runners come think seek the services of gait analysis in order to select the correct running shoe and yeah. how much do you think gait analysis can actually help in choosing the right running shoe <coughs> How long have we got? <laughs> For this question, I would say about six and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's a minefield um, because there is this notion grained into the running industry that you have a gait analysis, you look at what the foot does, um, and then you then select the shoe accordingly. Um, and as clinicians, we know that that has, is not true. And we, we know that hasn't been the case for donkey's years. And the issue we got is that currently we haven't really got a replacement idea that is simple, that easy to use, that people in a running shop, so if you've got a, a young runner who's trying to earn a few quid working on the running shop on a Saturday, we need to come up with a tool that is easy to use and it's quick. And currently, as it stands, that there isn't anything out there. So we sort of turned around and said, right, you can't use this. But then we sort of said, we just sent it there. We said, you can't use this, but that's it. But there's nothing, nothing else. And, um, but that could be possibly changing. Um, so Solomon are about to launch a new way in that we are going to look for running shoes, um, and, a and assessing, um, runners in a few minutes in the running store um with a few ideas and all more will become clear um soon and yeah it, it'll be quite exciting is that um, exclusive is that an exclusive for one chat line does anyone else know about this um i i know about it because i was on the Solomon think tank and I, i'm allowed to i'm allowed to mention it so whether it, it may well be i don't know how many people know about it um but yeah, so it, it, yeah, you can take we it. We heard it first here on Run Chat Live. That's breaking news that someone um, will be soon curing the problem to running shoe selection. Well, yeah, curing, yeah. We'll have to wait and see. They're, they're offering us a possible solution um, in a way to help select running shoes. Um, but then if we then look further up the chain, so if we look at hip and knee issues and whatnot, and so there are, say, for example, if you've got a... If, if we talk about gait analysis and 3D gait analysis, we've got three ways the body can move. And we sort of got rolling in, rolling out, moving up, moving down and twisting, um, to put it in, trying to put it in simple terms and not use 
transverse sagittal and frontal. Um, so if we get someone, say, with an, a runner with knee pain, actually sometimes if they their knee's not bending as much as we want to when they're running and there's a slight overstride and it's overloading the knee, then actually something like a slight rocker bottom shoe, something like a hoka, can be helpful in some patients some of the time. Um, so you can then use gaze now to say, look, actually, look, you're getting a few knee symptoms and whatnot. You're running like this. Actually, this shoe may be helpful for you. Um, and if we look at the, the the way the footwear industry is going and changing and and whatnot, if we look at the the new Solomon predicts, for example, um, they've just completely changed in the way that they're like no other shoe. So I've actually got a last, a bottom of them here. Let's show, is this, can you see yeah, it? So that's the undersole of the shoe. So it's breaking into 10 little pods and separate um, compartments. And each one is, is flexible and it bends. So if you can actually pick the shoe up, it bends, it flexes and whatnot. Um, but they've got, data showing that you can reduce knee internal rotation and reduce the loading through the knee with that shoe that I know they are going to be presenting um, soon. Um, so it's about actually, we haven't got to worry about big, heavy, supportive shoes because using footwear, I think the biggest thing we need is they need to get lighter because we, we know this, it's well documented that the lighter the shoe, the more energy you save. So I think when we look at footwear, we need to go down that approach first. And the gaze analysis bit. So for example, in clinic, I don't have a patient come in. If a patient wants to come in, they've got no pain and they want a gaze analysis to choose their shoes. I'll turn around and say, no, you don't need, need to do that. Just go and put, sit, get a set of shoes that fit correctly and are comfortable. And so you do that. You, you, you say, no, put your money away. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, it's, it's, it's an overkill. I don't, I don't need to, don't need to do a gaze analysis on those people. They've got no pain. They want us some advice around footwear. And actually the best current advice I can give them is pick a comfortable shoe that fits correctly. The majority of people don't wear shoes that fit correctly anyway. So that, that's a big issue in the first place. And then comfort. It is so important when it comes to footwear selection and. So sorry to interrupt, but this is like getting interesting. Well, it was always interesting, but so expand on the majority of runners don't um, wear shoes which are correctly fitting already. What are you like? What are you um, talking about? So um, there was my mentor, one of my mentors, Trevor Pride, done a, a study. I can't remember how many people he asked in his in his clinic up in around London Way, um, but es essentially ninety percent of people wore shoes that were didn't fit correctly. And then there has been a bigger study that shows around about 65%, I think it is, um, don't wear shoes that fit correctly. So I, I often see in clinic that people people come in, they sort of say, oh, I have to go one size up in my running shoes compared to my normal shoes. Normally that just tells me they've got, they got one pair of shoes that don't fit correctly in the first place. Um, and it's, for example, if you get a look at people that, they get um, sort of bleeding under the nails and sort of what we call medical zomas, the bungal hematomas, if anyone's interested, um, or they get black toenails. A lot of the time, that's just because shoes are don't fit correctly. Um, and as well, people who often get numbness in the front of their foot, it's quite often, I see some patients, they're just wearing shoes that are too narrow. You put them in a set of shoes that are slightly wider and the symptoms 
resolve in, in, in some people. So I think before we try and overcomplicate it, I, I use the analogy in clinic a lot, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Let's just try and keep things as simple as we can. And if it's a case of, look, um, running shoes, comfortable, fit well, go from there. If you start getting issues, come back and see me. Um, but as it stands, I won't do a gaze analysis on you just to select your your running shoe per se in, in clinic. I think once we educate the running stores better um, and with the new things coming from Solomon, the, the running shoe clinic, the, um, the running shoe shops can do all that for us. Because, yes, making sure that the foot contacts the ground throughout the gate cycle and everything looks um, nice and stable in a way, um, not stable from a sort of supporting the foot, but making sure we, with the shoes striking evenly. Um, I think we can educate running shops to do that, and they haven't got to come and pay a clinician to do that for them. Um, but time will tell. Um, there's a lot of work to be done for that. Yeah. Um, no, that's great to hear. I'm looking forward to I've no idea. I'll have to do some research and read up on this um, Solomon thing to see if there's some literature out there. Um, okay, so shoes, yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, and yeah, it's great that runners, I've got to say hand on heart, if someone calls up here and they say, I want to get analysis because um, I want to know what shoes I need to wear, then if I'm in clinic and the receptionist is taking on something, then I'll kind of grab it and have a conversation with them. Yeah. Because I find that if someone still looking for that perfect shoe then normally it's because they've got some kind of issues they're attributing some form of pain or lack of performance to not having the right shoe yeah so generally i think most people who are looking for the right shoe there's stuff we can do with them we you know it's just getting to the crutch of the matter why do you want a new shoe because i keep getting knee pain okay well let's come in for get analysis but don't expect me to kind of basically solve your problems with giving you a new shoe we may find that it's some kind of uh, running form related we might need to retrain you a running form we might find it strength related like you said at the beginning um so yeah, if we take my three gaze analysis I, I before i got it i thought i had a good idea of how the low limb functions and how runners run when i got that kit i realized i knew nothing um it's sort of the learning curve has just been like that because it just offers a whole well it does literally offer the third dimension compared to 2d but i won't get too geeky on that um and so if we talk about running shoes i can't remember the last time i've actually then recommended a supportive sort of style of running shoe because they're just too heavy and a lot of the time we see runners they're coming in and actually the issues aren't footwear related, it's strength related. If you ask most runners, how much strength training are you doing outside of, of, of running? That's just like a swear word to some runners. It's sort of like, and if you make that suggestion to them, it's like, you just ask them to like amputate a leg or something. It's, um, it's like, so, but that needs to change because there is plenty of documented evidence out of that we can reduce the risk of injury and help improve performance and whatnot just by getting people fitter and stronger. Um, but there was also a recent um, paper published looking at the perceptions of what people think about running shoes and runners think about running shoes. And there, there, there is still a massive belief out there that the wrong running shoe will cause an injury. And that's just not the case. Um, so that just shows us that we have got an awful amount of work as clinicians to do to try and sort of break this down and i haven't got the i haven't got this the perfect answer of how we're going to do it 
Um, but if we again look at the evidence, we know that it takes around like 18 years for a sort of a clinical study to become normal practice everywhere. See, that's a really, really long time. And that's just sort of normal practice. And that, that's not even then titrating it down to runners themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. so that gap may be even longer. So we've got to do something to actually cut that gap significantly. And I think that um, the 18, like now we've got the power of social media. I think there, there's stuff that we need to start working on to try and fix that problem because it is a big problem. Um, yeah, the trouble is it takes 30 seconds for a hip flexor advert, stretch your hip flexor and solve all your problems to get out on social media and for 10,000 people to like it and share it with their friends. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? That's, it is. this, this is one of the things we're trying to do with this is, okay, if people like social media and they're willing to watch stuff and they like tuning in and they've all got their mobiles, it's great. But it's getting the information out there which is relevant and not just the fast kind of buck one size fits all stuff mm -hmm. which is a personal pet hate of mine so yeah, yeah. you mentioned strength yeah. training which is curious okay i mean i'm a massive fan of strength training and it does seem it's not the it's not the answer for everybody but we know that potentially well we know that strength training can reduce overuse injuries by 50 percent. there's some good studies on that but we've got someone here you might not know she's quite well she's very popular on the south coast where we are yeah um, lisa Shubbers is leaving so i'm going to put lisa's uh comment up yeah now yeah. one thing about lisa Shubbers is she might be an exception to the rule in terms of strength training because she's stacked she's she's a personal trainer she's strong she doesn't stop getting strong so i'm going to bring her comment up yeah. she just finished her first ultra and if anyone doesn't follow lisa's uh social feed then you should do because she's very inspirational um she's a local personal trainer here in Brighton and in the area um so let's obviously you can't diagnose because you haven't seen her face to face but yeah. this is a personal trainer who's very strong yeah strength the whole time just done a first ultra and she's getting knee pain mm -hmm. what were the, some of the first few things you'd look at obviously you've got no other case history apart from that but she's a strong girl so what would you say to that so the way I then look at that is you can see you can use rugby play as well as, as some of the analogies and and um, bodybuilders as well. You can be physically strong, but actually can you control that strength on on running? So that neuromotor control. So I, I've seen patients who will happily squat 200 kilos, but you get them to do a single leg squat un, unloaded and they're all over the place. Um, so I think it's about, and it's, it's all about making sure your, your body's accustomed to doing that activity. So if you are, you're into your weight training you, you're built you, your body's used to in the weight training but then if you then just start then going into your running it still needs to be a a gradual process because your body has to become accustomed to that load of running which is different from the load of of weightlifting now i think yeah being being fit and strong is it, is really really good we want to make sure then you can then control that strength during running so what i will then say to my runners who are and my weightlifters who are running and are strong is sort of actually do we need to start instead of working on sort of big heavy double uh, double leg exercises like squats and deadlifts and front squats which they can do really easily do we actually need to tone it back and actually start looking at single leg stuff and and start making it more running specific um for them um and then also then actually that's when the gait analysis can then come in handy as well because we can then then have a look at um, the way that you are running in relation to the knee pain, then 
uh, then we can say, is there actually some way in that you are running that will then be contributing towards that knee pain? So it may not be a strength issue. You may find that Lisa's strong, her actually neuromotor control is really good, she can do a single leg squat really well, single leg load really well, and her body's accustomed. But actually, there are certain things happening the way that she's running that are just contributing towards the knee pain. So then actually gait re-education may be a better option for her rather than more strength work. And then that's when the gait analysis and then taking your whole history comes in. And it's about trying to work out, the way I like to phrase it, with there are many ways you can treat multiple things. Um, in my head, I say to my patient, I like to try and go for the big wins first. I look at the patient, I get all the information, and then I'll sort of say, look, in my opinion, these are going to this this treatment this treatment modality is going to give us the biggest chance of the biggest one we we will get so let's go for this one first so that doesn't work then we'll go on to this and then if that doesn't work we'll go on to this and it's so for some patients strength training may be their big win for some patients orthosis may be their big win for other patients um it may be that their um gait re-education is their big win and actually um a bit of a a cat tip as it were to um Brad Neil, Brad Neil for because he sort of as uh, my local college podiatry conference and he sort of phrased it like that and I thought do you know what I, I, I like that way of phrasing that so I can't take credit for that I stole that from him effectively. Um. Yeah, well we don't want to swell Brad's head up any bigger than it is, yeah. eh? So, but yeah, Brad O'Neill. Anyone who doesn't follow Brad, uh, what is he on Twitter and social media? It's just Brad O'Neill, isn't it? I think. Brad Neal, isn't it? Brad Neal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So worth following Brad for, and especially anything to do with knees. One thing I found very interesting, and, and I think Lisa's a good example of something which uh, which may be the case and where gait analysis can help. Um, yeah, we know, I mean, research shows that just because you do, for example, uh, the typical glute med strength strengthening, you might get much, much stronger um, at doing a leg abduction or some kind of um, something involving your glute med. But it doesn't necessarily mean that when you're running, your brain or nervous system is going to use that extra strength. Yeah, yeah. So this is where the gait retraining comes into it. And, and something I'm sure you do at your clinic as well is is educating runners to realize that if you do the strength training, that's great. But it's not the it's not the be all and end all. We need to then train your body to actually use that strength um, actually within the context of running. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that could be the case when someone is very strong. I think typically the other thing I see about strength, which I'd like um, to talk to you about, is not just not all personal trainers, but a lot of personal training, boot camps um, and just people down the gym tend to be very quads, front of the body, that sort of strength. Yeah. Um, and we know, yeah. for example, that knee pain can be connected to actually having a weak posterior change, the hamstrings. Yeah. And I've yet yeah. to find a, a boot camp and I don't know about Lisa's classes and stuff, but. I think it's it's trickier in a class environment, whether you're in a gym or in a park or something, to actually train the hamstrings and the calves. A lot of the exercises are less attractive or maybe you need more equipment. But, yeah, hamstring strength and knee pain, is that something you see in your clinic? Um, yeah, it's, it is. Um, it tends to me hamstring strength, glute strength is the biggest one I find of knee pain. And then we know it's well documented, the quad strength, but also – Hamstring strength is also, I think, important because it's you obviously do. The beauty of running is that you do tend to use your quads, your hamstrings, and everything all at different times during that gait cycle. Um, so with knee pain, yeah, we do see a lot of patients who have um, weakness in the hamstrings, 
Um, the biggest error is actually isn't the hamstrings for me. It's you, you calf. So actually, um, your gastrocnemius and then actually your small calf muscle, your soleus, the one that sits behind, behind it, that actually, if you speak to most runners, they don't know exists. Um, and if you look at Seth O'Neill's work around Achilles problems and cilia strength, and actually we look at the loads, cilia takes more load on running than gastroc does. And so many runners just neglect that, uh, but they also neglect hamstrings. So they work on glutes, they work on quads, um, but they, um, yeah, they also neglect hamstrings. And you're right, if you look at your typical, well, from the classes in my neck of the woods in sort of the Hampton area, is that they are all glutes and quad dominant, which is really, really good. Um, but I think we also need to start um, hamstring stuff um, as well. Yeah, I mean, the soleus makes it even more difficult. Because, I mean, you mentioned Seth O'Neill. I get, I always call Brad O'Neill, Brad O'Neill. It's Brad O'Neill <laughs> and Seth O'Neill. Yeah. They've got no right to have the same surname and be, both be such great clinicians. But yeah, the soleus is an even more difficult muscle to target um, because yeah, Seth O'Neill has kind of said it could be, he's kind of shown it could be half your body weight to actually fatigue it. It's a very strong muscle. Um, mm. And half your body weight, you're not going to achieve with a kettlebell. You know, really you're looking at a sandbag or going to a gym yeah. and using some more equipment. Um, so, yeah, soleus muscle is a big one, like you say, um, which is neglected. Um, cool. OK, this is all very much confirmation bias for me. It's fantastic. I'm hoping the message is getting out there with runners listening as well. If you hear it from me and you hear it from Nick, um, then hopefully it kind of uh, makes some coins drop. But it is difficult because there's an awful lot of people out there who <clears throat> will focus just primarily on the glutes or they will get you strong, but won't say right now we need to look at your running form. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and it's ringing some bells, then, uh, yeah, just try and share it. What about Nick? And this is where we might differ. I don't know. It might just be the same thing again. You haven't mentioned stretching yet. You haven't mentioned mobility, range of movements. Yeah. Um, yeah. First of all, general, and then maybe because you're a specialist, obviously, in the foot, being a podiatrist, people worry about lack of movement, lack of dorsiflexion, lack of movement in the ankle. Won't go down the technical names. But how much do you see with runners that lack of range is an issue? I would say I see more strength issues than I do flexibility issues. However, I then see people like myself where I'm physically strong, um, but I am so inflexible and so stiff. It's, it's unbelievable. So actually for me, yes, I need to do my strength, work, but I, for me personally, I need to focus on my, my flexibility stuff. However, I tend to find that runners are quite good at doing their stretching these days. They, they all come in, they have their little morning routines that they do to work on flexibility. And maybe that's why I don't see as many flexibility issues compared to strength issues because they're already doing it as part of their their routine. They're sort of sort of being ingrained into them already. Um, but no, flexibility is is important um, as well because we know that having certain muscles that are tight um, can have a possibly have an impact on on what we do when we run. So, for example. I know that I've got tight calf muscles, so when I run and when I walk, I lift my heel off the ground really, really, really early, which it doesn't currently give me any issues at all. Um, but if I did start getting calf issues in the future, then that's something I would look at to see, okay, what can I do to improve that then? 
Yeah. The um. So you mentioned you've got, you know, you've got tight calf muscles because you physically see it when you walk. The heel comes off, yeah. and uh, do you see that? Is that specific to you, or do you see it much in runners? No, no, no. I see it in runners, um, but most runners are better at doing their flexibility programs than I am. Um, <laughs> I, I would say I'm personally a little more strength biased than I am flexibility biased in my own yeah. training, my own personal life. Um, but no, it, it's tight. Yeah, tight calves would be the biggest I see in runners, then followed by tight hamstrings if we're talking about muscle and flexibility, and then the hip flexors after that in the cohort of runners I see in clinic. Um, so with the tight cars, you can see maybe the heel coming up. You use a Neil uh, knee to wall test and knee to wall. So knee to wall is technically not looking at calf tightness without trying to get too technical. Knee to wall test looks at how stiff the ankle is as a whole, rather than the flexibility of the muscles. And actually, we there there is on the knee to wall test. So for the runners out there, just to try and put it in simple terms, we basically will get you to stand close to the wall and basically get you to squat until your knee touches the wall and your heel stays in full contact with the ground. And then we'll either measure the distance from the wall or the angle of your shin bone. And we know that if you don't reach a certain distance or get a certain angle, that does increase your risk of getting an ankle injury um, because it increases the stiffness. Um, And flexibility and stiffness are two separate things um and i think it's important that as clinicians we, we 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 remember that as well so i can see someone who has slight calf tightness but doesn't have any ankle stiffness and i can see someone who has good calf flexibility but has ankle stiffness present as well um and, and that they tend to be in the run of the ones i tend to see um the biggest ankle stiffness uh, tend to be the runners who've had a, a ankle invert ankle twisting injury in the past um yeah, I mean, I do struggle with – give us – just break down again, just for people watching. Um, you said there's a difference between flexibility and stiffness. So expand yep. on that. Um, so basically the flexibility is how much the um, – throughout a range of motion, how much we can get the muscle to elongate and, and relax, trying to trying to simplify this, but not oversimplify it. Um, it's surprisingly difficult. Um and then stiffness is just a, a physics term. Um, looking at, I'm trying to think of the best way to, without going too technical. Um, we want to look at how much resistance is there in, it's not resistance, possibly, yeah, I'm trying to think, yeah. Um, looking at how much resistance there is within emotion. So if you take that knee to wall test, we want to look at actually how far, or how much resistance is there in the ankle when we, then we, when we start to sort of go into that ankle dorsiflexion, so doing that effectively. Yeah. And of course, I suppose there could be other reasons. That's where you guys come in. It might not be a muscular issue. It could be a bony issue or it could be a structural. It could just be the way they're put together. I mean, yeah. I've seen the, the need to all test is always tricky for me because I must admit I do use it, but I mainly use it to show that as far as I see, a lot of runners have got, well, quite a few runners have actually, in my view, got too much range of movement. Mm-hmm. I reckon they've got no control over that potentially and it's worth I use it as a way to indicate the strength training might be necessary because again for me and it's that we as different clinicians we use different words to mean different things but for me I try and make stiffness I don't use it in a negative context I yeah. try and use it as a way to make runners realize educate them with regards to kind of being a tight spring and the whole 
kind of elasticity that's needed in running. I mm-hmm. try to say, look, I need you to be stiffer. It's like, oh, you want me to be tighter? Not necessarily tighter, but I need you to be more reactive so you yeah. can bounce yeah. up and down. Um, so I think that, yeah, helps. I mean, I've, I do try and find, I can't keep my eyes open for when I believe that runners lack range of movement. Um, and I must admit, I do struggle. Now and again, I might get someone in, but hamstrings, you say, for example, how would you test somebody um, to conclude that they didn't have enough range of movement in their hamstrings? Well, this, this test that we use is a static test of just sort of lying people down, and um, you've got two ways you can either flex the hip so you can bend the knee um, and then raise the leg up, or you can just raise the leg up and you can then measure the angle. Um but then that self, then that, that's not a dynamic test. That's not, and that's part of my issue with static testing is that a lot of these static tests that we do actually have no correlation to dynamic um, function. Um, so that is the way in clinic we would do it. But as I sort of said, is that I see more strength issues than I do flexibility issues. Um, in, in yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up and it's something that runners should realize as well and hopefully clinicians are making clear to them that yeah i think both of us will do the static tests we'll see when you lie down how high you can get your leg up i think it's worth i mean i make a point of clarifying that if you do it yourself to run you don't need your leg up at 90 degrees no. i think maybe kind of even a hurdling you might need 60 70 percent but for running maybe 60 percent lift looking at running sprinting it might be higher but that's something i'm always harping on about is before people start stretching just check whether they actually lack the range that's necessary for what they're going to do because i think in a lot of cases and like you say just because maybe you you for example um i think most runners are exposed to the thomas test and there's been some good research on that as well where we lie you at the end of a couch we see how much your um do that little thing so you see we see how much your leg drops over the end of the couch and research has shown that maybe um, in a test, you looks like you have loads of range hanging over the couch, but then we look at your gait analysis and you're not extending that hip hardly at all or vice versa. So, yeah, yeah again, it makes it not black and white, isn't it? It's a jigsaw pieces to take into consideration and then see if they do tally up. <laughs> OK, let me move on because I'm conscious of time. 1017. Um, we let's talk a bit about running form so you've already mentioned there's no one way to run which is great um and again that might be a wake-up call for certain runners just by saying that because there's so many dvds and educational workshops saying this is how you have to run and they don't even you know they're treating just runners as runners instead of individuals but for gait analysis um what would you say i want to want to talk about people who just come in for performance do you, do you treat people who or do you do gait analysis people who just want to get the next pb or look at the way they um, run this is going to be really short because i don't <laughs> i'm i'm only currently i'm only interested in people with pain um, yeah, the way I if we want to change gates and performance that's when i hand back to their coaches rather than me doing it because i just i haven't got enough expertise or experience in using gait to increase performance factors um yeah okay that's no problem so let's stick with pain so let me if you could list three or four typical ways of running which could be Mm -hmm. 
keeping someone in pain or causing pain. Uh, we won't talk about potentially causing an injury in the future, but something which somebody might be doing, which might be attributed to their knee pain or calf pain or yeah, different ways of running. Okay, so I think I'll, I'll look at it from, because most runners come in with me sort of saying that either heel striking is bad or that I need to run on the forefoot region. So if I talk about injuries that I then see around that, because so for example, if I have someone coming in who has an overstrike and their knee sort of extends too much, so it doesn't bend as much as we want it to, and then lands heavy on their heel, I will tend to find that those patients are tend to be presenting with some sort of anterior front of knee pain or, or shin pain. Um, then if I have a runners coming in presenting with Achilles pain or pain around the ball of the foot, they tend to be the patients that are coming in landing on the ball of the foot region, so sort of your forefoot strikers, um, as it were. However, I have seen patients who overstride with reduced knee flexion who still land on the ball of their foot. Um, so it just because you change the way the foot lands, whether you strike on your heel or whether you land on the front of your foot, um, that doesn't mean that you're then going to change other parameters or other ways, the ways the way you're running. Um, and a lot of people get, a lot of runners get focused on how's my foot landing, my heel striking, midfoot striking, forefoot striking. And to be honest, I'm not really concerned massively in clinic on whether you're heel striking midfoot or forefoot, I'm more worried about where's that foot landing in relation to what we call your centre of mass. Um, because we know that actually the closer we can get it back to centre of mass, um, the, the, we can help try and reduce some of the loading. Um, so what we will then do with those, those patients in with knee pain or whatnot is that they may still want to heel strike but we'll just get them to shorten their stride length, increase their cadence to help them bring it under the central mass. And if they're still heel striking then, or if they're still forefoot striking, to me, it's sort of, I'm not massively concerned because actually I can show you runners that one foot does one thing, one foot does the other thing. And actually I can't remember the exact stats, but it was, it's quite a high percentage of runners think they know the way they run, but actually when you video them, they're, they're doing something completely different to what they perceive what they're doing. Um, but going back to the question on running the ways that you run and pathology we see in clinic. Um, yeah, if we sort of say the overstriding with increased dorsiflexion landing on your heel, I see more associated with my knee pain patients and shin pain. And your forefoot striking is associated more with Achilles and forefoot issues. However, I still see people who get knee pain and shin pain, who still land towards the forefoot region. Um, so just because you run like that doesn't mean you're going to get those symptoms. But from the demographic I see of runners, that's sort of the pattern we sort of we sort of see. And then we can then look further up the chain at reduced hip flexion and increase um, <clears throat> reduced hip flexion and increased extension. Um, so for example, my hamstrings patients, I tend to find. They, they have lots of hip extension, reduced knee flexion, and the time they spend on their foot is increased. Um, so they're really then loading up those hamstrings. Um, so that's what I tend to see in clinic regarding 
um, pathology, but um, it doesn't always work like that. I, I have runners that will come in and I think, right, I've got a good idea. What You've got your come with your knee pain. I've got a good idea how you're going to run. And then they do something completely different. And I'm sat there like, hmm, um, okay, back to square one. Let's go back to the drawing board and rethink this. Because as human beings, we are reliably unreliable. That's what makes us great. It's, it's sort of, if we took the brain out of the equation, we could be like a bridge. We could work out the exact force and the exact load and what you need to do exactly. But as soon as you put the brain into the equation, that just messes everything up. And that's why I love my job, because it's no two people are the same. And, and that's the way we need to treat the gait analysis, that no two people are the same as well. We, can't, we, we can't have a one-size-fits-all approach. Yeah, it's healthy. I think it's really healthy that runners who come for gait analysis or go for gait analysis, they realise that it is uh, uh, a bit of a jigsaw. It's not an exact science. Hopefully you're with a clinician who has got a wide enough kind of experience of what it could be. And then they start looking at stuff. So if you're suffering, like you say, from Achilles problems or calf pain and you are running towards the forefoot, then they might think, right, well, let's just see what happens if we take you away from the forefoot. Um, yeah. and then, we train you to land a little bit close to the middle heel um, and sometimes again research has shown which is interesting that if that can alleviate pain um, and help you get back into running and then you may just drift back to forefoot and everything will be fine again so it's not always changing someone's form forever is it it's sometimes it's just changing it so that they like you say the brain can get used to running again um, and then without ask the interesting but the interesting question what happens when we get tired and we get fatigue sets in. So what happens at mile 10 of a marathon and mile 25? It's, yeah. And that's where Have we... Have you done that before? Do you get people to kind of... I mean, it's often yeah. it's hard logistics, but do you get people to go out and run 10 miles and then come yeah. and jump on the treadmill? I, I've had people where they um they say, I get my symptoms at 10 miles. So I sort of say, look, come in early. I'll see a few more patients. You go upstairs, go on the treadmill, or have long you need to, and then we'll come back. What I will do is I'll take a baseline measurement at fresh and then I'll take one again at fatigue. And the beauty of the run 3D system, I can then load them on the same report and do a direct comparison of them. And then I can show them the effects of fatigue on them and what can we do to try and um, try and help that. But I think it comes back to the fact that when we're talking about gait analysis, yes, it's important, but it's not a it doesn't fix everything. And it's often with any, I don't know, one condition in the lower limb. Um, I only speak about lower limb because I've got no idea above the hip what's going on. Um, so it's, I think that there's never one injury that one treatment of that modality works for that person. There's often two or three things that we have to do to help get that runner back to running where they're happy. So then it could be gait analysis. It could be um, linking to that gait re-education. It could be orthoses. It could be footwear. It could be load management advice. It could be strengthening, stretching, and whatnot. But it's never. It's normally two or three things. It's never just one thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's a very healthy outlook. Something that I hope people watching this will uh, take on board. I mean, I have people who come here for gait analysis, and. I'm sure you do it as well. You see them running and you're like, your running form looks great to me. Everything seems fine. The only thing that stands out isn't what you came in thinking was the problem. It's actually maybe this. It might be their recovery. It might be they're just a training program. It might be their overtraining. I mean, that often that's a thing. Um, but thanks to coming to see us. Um, that's why I think sometimes I know, and maybe you know as well, I don't know what your prices are like, but I think sometimes I'm surprised by how much gait analysis can cost. 
Yeah. What people don't realize is they're not just paying for that hour or two hours <laughs> research and the time you're spending keeping on top of evidence and training and doing courses. And so gait analysis can cost more than your kind of 45 minute massage. But we're not just looking at how you run, are we? We're drawing on that experience of everything else as well as the actual gait analysis. Oh, yeah. All my before they come to see me, um, they fill out a four page questionnaire. I want to know a history about them before I even see the before I see a runner what's going on. And the way I look at it, so look, a gait analysis um, will cost near enough the same as what a decent set of running shoes will cost. Mm-hmm. And actually, we, we've got a, um, a what's known as a dynamometer so in clinic. So we got the ability to strength testing and then put a number against how strong you are. And so if we to do that with the strength testing, then that costs the same amount as what a decent running watch costs uh, as well. So when, when you speak to runners like that, like, well, actually, John, this is an investment in in me um, to help get to where I want to. And yes, I do have plenty of runners where I sort of say, look, you've come in, you've got your left-sided knee issue, but in your history, you've told me in the past you've had left-sided Achilles issue, left-sided hip issues. So I'm thinking, okay, is there a functional left-sided problem? Do the gait analysis and it's all fine. And you say, look, do you know what? It's fine. You haven't got to worry about that. Actually, we just need to chat about you just being a little more meticulous on your strength training and making sure you're a little more sensible on how many miles you're doing and when you're increasing it and what you're changing and your running volume. Um, but then they'll, they'll go away thinking, oh, do you know what? Actually, I'm OK. I'm, I'm happy and um, I know what I need to work on now. Yeah. And hopefully down the line, they won't spend, you know, six hours worth of money with different clinicians trying to find out what the problem is that's the thing isn't it because that's what eats up a lot of money when people look at how much they've paid maybe over the year for visiting yeah. i mean because we know there's a lot of kind of potato hopping from well not potato hopping but people will go to one clinician if they don't hear what they like they go to someone else especially down here in brighton i don't know what it's like over in southampton but here there's probably six seven eight recommended people you could go and see and and before you know you could have spent a grand just on seeing different people to try and tell you what you want to hear sort of thing yeah, so I think the thing about gate analysis, isn't it? It's two hours or an hour with us to actually yeah. Yeah. look at everything and then give you some self-management advice so that you haven't got to go and see someone else. Yeah, and that's easy. An hour or two hours, and then we have an initial consultation, forty-five minutes on top of that as well, just to go through everything, just to make sure we sort of cross the um, T's and dotted the I's, because yeah. we want to give runners the information, the, the right information that they can then use themselves and i think that's what they like about the run 3d system it, it simplifies it down it puts it in in understandable pictures and um, data and graphs for them so i can then show them look this is why i think you could be the, one of the reasons that's contributing towards your knee pain it won't be the sole reason but it's one of the reasons that's not helping um and then also then it gives me then all the data so then i can still be geeky afterwards and then all I do, I give them the full report that has all that geeky data, but then I will then write them a, a simple word report in layman's term, in plain English, that sort of then they can then go away. So then they've got that data to refer back to any time they want to. And if they choose to go see someone else later on, they can then always still take that data. I, I'm very big on communication. I, I just love being open with patients and if there's other therapists involved, I'll always write them letters and communicate so everyone's aware of what's going on because I think a lot of things break down because of lack of communication. But that's me taking a massive sidetrack from what we're speaking about. 
No, not at all. No, it's like like you said, gain analysis, loads of the gear, but no idea. Communication is a massive part of that. It's giving the information out correctly, following it up, all that. Well, look, Nick, believe it or not, there's been an hour already. Wow. Um, we haven't even touched on things like, um, I mean, I, I'm going to have to chat to you another time about the actual um, 3D software, run 3D software you use. Um, but just to end things off then, if people want more information on you, on 3D software, um, yeah. tell us about what they should do. Um, so website, nksportspodiatry.co.uk. Um, on Facebook, NK Sports Podiatry on Facebook. Instagram, where are we at? We are, I think, at NK Sports Pod. And the same on Twitter um, as well. But, yeah, look, I, I will happily have discussions with anyone and anyone. If people just want to ping me a question or query, I will try and get back to you in a, in a timely fashion. And, and um, yeah, it's... I'm there to be found YouTube channel as well, which has some useful videos on exercises for runners. So um, you, you get to see me doing all the exercises, which may not be a good thing. It depends which way you look at it. Um, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm up there just to try and educate people. I believe the more people we can educate, the better. So you heard it, people. This is this is the struggle. Well, not, it is a bit of a struggle. There's so much crap out there unfortunately let's oh. use that word literally um so if you have appreciated what's on here and um, then do try and share it because it's the only way we can try and get through the very attractive flashy but wrong information that kind of rules our net our internet waves so okay nick well thank you very much once again thank you for giving up um your free time you realize it's free you did read the email yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> thanks for giving out your time on a Sunday morning because I know you got a little and uh, yeah. a year old, is she? Yeah, Sunday year or last Monday. Oh, well, congratulations on that. I know oh, how that feels. causing my wife loads of havoc, so I better go and earn some yeah. dad. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. Um, um, I wish you all the best and I hope you get some people contacting you uh, through this to find out some more. Um, and yeah, I wish you a very good day. Thank you very much, Nick. All right, take care. See you later. Ciao. Right. So that was um, Nick Knight, sports podiatrist extraordinaire. Um, thank you very much for joining us again. So quickly the hour goes. Um, it was great to hear some comments from you as well. That's the advantage of listening to the live version. Um, we had an interesting uh, shout out from Lisa Shabbos about a recent ultra, which is great. Mark Bernaldi was here. We had Martin, the guest from last week, he was here. Um, we had uh, people from Australia. There was Mark. There was Emily Ball joining us. Um, so it's uh, you can watch the recording, but it's lovely to actually uh, see you join us live because then maybe we can use you as a case history or something and give our guests some questions. So that's it. I am here, um, as always, at Studio 57 slash Stride UK. I'm here for the rest of today um, as we've got running season shouting out loud with uh, Brighton Half in February and the Brighton Marathon um, in April. Um, so as always, if you've got any um, issues and you want to come to see me in person, then um, I'm at Studio 57 Stride UK. Um, you can check me out my website, sportinjurymat.co.uk and everywhere on Internet. I am at sportinjurymat. So thanks again to Nick Knight, my guest. Um, I hope you picked up some good things and uh, we will see you probably next week. I think we are. Uh, but look out on social media for who the guest is um, and I look forward to seeing you then. Thank you very much and goodbye. You're listening to Run Chat Live podcast.
putting the evidence back into running injury and performance.